Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinSwift.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at FunkinStuff.net or on YouTube, or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify, as always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend. Tell family. Also, get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here. Truth and Rhythm shirts. Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also, want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership keyboardist, singer, composer, and producer, Kevin Spencer, best known as a core member of the 1980s dance R&B group Dynasty. Originally a trio, the Leon Silvers produced act released a half dozen albums from 1979 to 1988 and 16 singles, including the hits, I Don't Want to Be a Freak, But I Can't Help Myself, I've Just Begun to Love You, and Love in the Fast Lane. As part of Solar Records' stable of artists, Spencer also contributed to recordings by The Whispers, Shalimar, Carrie Lucas, and The Silvers. Kevin, so good to have you. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine, Scott, and I'm glad to be with you here. Where, uh, where are you coming to us from today? Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, go ahead. Yeah, so, well, I saw you also, I believe, went to Crenshaw High, right? Yes, I did. I certainly did. Uh, graduated in 73 with uh, Cheryl Cooley. She was uh, in my class. Cheryl Cooley and I wrote our class song. Huh. And, and uh, I was uh, like a, I was getting into poetry uh, and prose back then. But I heard melodies, so I didn't know that when she and I did that, uh, that we'd end up being artists at Solar, of course. But we had no way of knowing that. But it was inter interesting, uh, and the song was great. And the song was great. Uh, we ended up doing it at our graduation, 
and everybody was saying, wow, we wish we could have a copy of that. That was bad. <laughs> that's I funny. That's, that's like uh, the small world kind of uh, thing right there. Well, I had Cheryl, Cheryl was on uh, Truth and Rhythm, and uh, I wish I had known I would have brought this up uh, when she was on, oh. but um, that's something else. You know, I'm from Los Angeles, too, so you know, I went to okay. uh, Santa Monica High. So you were obviously doing music in high school, uh, but you first started doing music when you were how old? You know, Jeffrey Daniels and I have known each other since we were like nine years old. And he came, he lived down the street from me, like, you know, a couple of city blocks. And he was, uh, Jeffrey was interesting. He was, I liked him. He was very likable as a kid. He, had, he was silly. He had a sense of humor. We got in trouble in it, in junior high school because and I know this is about Dynasty and Soul Art, but I'll talk about the whole Soul Art experience, my my experiences with the people that are there since we talked about growing up a little bit. I'll just share all that because it goes together. It fits together as it, as it turned out down the road. You know, I had read, and you can tell the story, that you mm -hmm. uh, just kind of showed up to audition for Leon Silver's. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. I was about 20, 20, I was about to have my 21st birthday. I had met Nancy Wilson's little sister, Karen Wilson, the legendary Nancy Wilson, at Ladera Park. She was fine, Scott. Woo. Man, I, she gave me her number, and we began to talk on the phone. But I didn't know who she was. She was just a fine black girl. All right. And, but the prefix to that number I always wonder, I said, what, what kind of prefix is this? What, what neighborhood do these, these black people live in? I know they, they you know, Nancy Wilson, I consider her rich. But I was talking to her, and and on my birthday, June the 30th, because I met her around Memorial Day, she invited me up to the house so that we could go to a movie together and celebrate my birthday. So when I went there, and to pick her up, but she gave me the address. I'm I'm in Palace Verdes. Never been to Palace Verdes unless uh, well maybe when Marine <laughs> back in the days of Marine Land. If you even right. yeah, remember, yeah. I went I went to that's Marine when, Land. That's the only time I've been near near that area. And I was a kid, so I didn't know there was Palace Verdes. But when I went up to meet the Karen, I said, "This is uh, I knew where I was. Went up there." I saw a Cadillac and a Rolls Royce in the driveway. I said, whoa. I go up in there. I go in and I see all these portraits. I see all these pictures of Martin Luther King and Nancy Wilson. Uh, 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 <laughs> she's got pictures of her and everybody. I mean, like she's, you know, historically, Jesse Jack. I mean, she's got civil rights going. She's got all these other stars and she's got gold records. And, and a big, pretty portrait of her hanging by the stairs. The stairs. Uh, and I said, huh, that's Nancy Wilson. And then I knew that my friend, her name was Karen Wilson. I said, I'm in Nancy Wilson's house. Oh, shit, snap. You know, so we went on the date. Said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just take you around and show you where some of the illustrious, prominent black people live. And we get to one intersection, and she goes, Oh, oh, Kev, and right there, that's where the Silvers live. And I said, the Silvers? 
I said, for real? She said, right. Yeah, right there. That, that house right there on the corner. I said, yeah. So I looked at it, locked in my bearings. And because of the fact that she showed me where they live is how I knew where to come. And, 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 and after that, you know, I never saw Karen ever again. I didn't get to talk to her either. Her purpose in my life was solely to point out the Silvers' house because they were because she was friends with Angie Silvers, mm. and they were about the same age. So that's how I knew where it was, and I and I said to myself that one day I said I'm going to be coming back here one day. Truer words were never spoken. When uh, I I had been. Uh, Telling myself that I wanted to audition for the Silvers. Uh, I went to audition for them by the time I was 22, a year later. So the first time, I, I just said, one day I put my bass over my shoulder, put my little amp in. I said, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to announce myself and, and I'm going to tell them I'm here to audition. I'm going to tell them I heard that they needed a bass player. Lie. <laughs> I hadn't heard any such thing, but I had to have a good enough excuse. Went up there, knocked on the door, got my courage up, you know, knocked on the door, and the maid came to the door, or house clean, whatever, she was keeping the house. The Silvers weren't there. They were on tour. Another day, I get the feeling strong. I'm going to try it again, shot. Got in my van. Took my bass, my amp, drove up there, knocked on the door, and the same thing happens. They weren't there. Now, what I realize is, how will I ever know when they're home? I, I, I knew, I'll never know. They're on tour all the time. One morning, it was like maybe 10 in the morning, sun is like shining on my side of the house where you know my bedroom is where the sun is coming up and, and you know those pull down shades that we, that we used to have the flat flat there was a, a pin size hole in it the sun's bright it created a laser effect beaming down right into the middle of my face that's what woke me up that morning and, and, and I got the, this piercing white, pure light coming through that little hole in my in the middle of my face, in my eye kind of. And when I sat up and I saw it, and when I sat up, I I, I, I sat up and I was out of the uh, out of the path of the light. So now it's just hitting straight down on my bed, and I heard a voice in my side myself. It just said, "This." is the day and so when i heard it i, re I said this is the day this is the <gasps> this is the day went up there and knocked on the door and somebody said hello and i knew it was somebody that was around my age it wasn't an adult <laughs> <clears throat> well i was an adult but it wasn't it wasn't you know it was one of them and who it was was Edmund, and uh, he and uh, he just cracked the door a little bit. And he said, "Oh, you want to talk to my brother Jonathan?" He opened up the door. And he said, "Yeah." 
He said, no, no, no. Who are you? What do you want? Anyway, Keith, we don't need a bass player. We got one right now. You can leave your number, your name and your number, and I'll pass it along. If somebody needs a bass player, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give them your number. And that was not good enough, Scott. That sounded so far away from what I came for. When he got ready to close the door, my foot reflex, whatever, it just shot out and stopped the door from closing. It freaked him out. Man, is a stranger. He just stopped you from closing your front door and he, ooh, he freaked out on me. He, he said, hey man, we're about to have a problem if you don't get your foot out of my door. And now, we, now, if I came there to make a good impression, I'm messing it all up right now, baby. And so I said, I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jonathan. I just came from so far away. Man, just to audition for you, man. I just don't want to go home without you at least listening to me. So I don't have time to listen to you right now. You come back in two hours, I might be able to listen to you then. So I had to take that. And, he, and so I said, okay, okay. I'm up here about Palos Verdes, and he's talking about two hours, you know. And that, that year, it wasn't really good for a young black man in a, in a, in a, in a white, old-style band to be riding around up there. <laughs> <clears throat> Clearly, I was out of place. <laughs> and I called, and I had her number in my black book. I pulled out my black book, and, and I called Nancy Wilson's house. And... She answered it. I said, well, this is Kevin. Remember, you know, your sister, you met me when your sister was here. She said, oh, yeah. You, oh, Kevin, how are you? How's your family and stuff? I said, well, fine. But, but Ms. Wilson, uh, I came out here. I came up your way because I, I had an audition set up with, <laughs> with the Silvers. You had no audition set up. But anyway, sometimes you got to believe something. Even if it's not true yet. I told her what I was doing up there and that they told me to come back in two hours. And the first thing she said was, ooh. She said, you know, she said, it might not be a good idea for a young man to be riding around up here. You know, the sheriffs will get after you. And she said, have you had lunch yet? Because now it's like 11, 30. I woke up at 10. All this transpired in that hour and a half, and so I, and she so she said, "Well, she said, well, why don't you come up here and have lunch with me?" Anyway, we spent time, and and the whole time she was encouraging me. She was talking to me, and she, and she knew the Silvers, and she said, "You know what? They," she says, "I think they're gonna like you. I think they're gonna like you for some reason." Uh, she treated me like she knew me already. I'd go back to the Silver's house, and uh, this time, when I when I knock on the door, Jonathan obviously had told him there was somebody coming back. So now the second per the third person I get to meet is Foster Silver. He was the one who opened the door and let me in. And when he opened up the door, I heard. Ma Shirley Silver, she said, 
who is this you letting in my house? Oh, mommy, you said somebody came by the audition for the, for the group of Johnson. She said, let me see who's coming in my house. I was standing in the doorway, and she just was looking at me, and all of a sudden her whole countenance changed, and she became very sweet and gentle. I mean, she just totally let it better. She said, oh, okay, well, it's nice to meet you. Okay, come on in. Johnson will be with you in a minute, baby. Never seen anybody go from hollering to that. What I found out about Ma Silvers is that uh, she has the spirit of discernment. She has gifts. And she can fit. And if she sees you, I don't know if she sees auras, but when she saw me and just took a moment to look at me, something told her that I was. it was okay for me to be there, that it, it was the right thing. And I found that about, about her later. I didn't know then how come she changed, but... That, that's something that people don't know about the Silver's mother, is that she had gifts. Okay, now, so I'm going to head a bit. I, uh, so I see Edmund, I see Pat, I see everybody there, Ricky, Edmund, Foster, everybody, and and Pat, Anna, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Angie. Everybody was there, except Leon. So... <laughs> They, I stayed at their house for like almost two hours after I, they were finished with the audition. We were having a ball, and so they liked my playing. I left, and Johnson had my number and stuff, and he said, Hey, we got some gigs coming up, some stuff. He said, I'm going to talk to Leon. He said, We got some stuff coming up. He said, uh, they, You know, uh, and we may need you. I said, okay, so I'm now I'm happier than the morning sun. You know what I'm saying? I left there on a high. Wow, I met the silver. I just took a chance. I'm, you know what I'm saying? So now you get the whole picture for the sake of time. That is, this, that is the whole story of me walking up to that door and how I ended up. That's an amazing it, story, uh, Kevin. Thanks for sharing that. Wow. Um, so much credit to you for, you know, being persistent, you know. Um, but I was praying too, Scott, but. You know, it's, fu it's, it's funny how the story says that it was for Leon Silvers when you said he was the only one not there. That wasn't there. <laughs> okay, well then I'll just finish, wrap that up real quick. So now, you know, you're familiar with the name Ricky Smith? Rick. With Dynasty. He wrote Make That Move, who I've also known since... He was, he was a baby. Ricky Smith was the one who does all that stuff on it, and the V goes on all the synthesizer stuff. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. He he was the solar sound with that. Ricky said, calls me and says, "Hey Kev, guess what?" I said, "What?" He said, "Man, Wesley Nelson is playing with the Silvers." I said, "What, Wesley? I used to go show him how to play stuff." What does Wesley do? I was the one that went up there. How did this happen? They didn't call me. Man, I don't know, man, but he, when he's playing with him, he's doing Don Kirshner's rock concert. I was like livid. I went up there, got my tickets, and then two weeks flew by, and I, and that was the day that the Silvers and Ohio players were, were taken. Oh. I, got, I went up there, got my ticket, went up there. I was going to... I had to find out why didn't you call me what happened. 
because I had to know what happened. I don't know anything about backstage passes or nothing else. I just gonna walk on back there, Scott. Man, I sat up there and he just happened to be a, a good old boy. He, he, you know, obviously he's from the South. He, 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 the dialect was strong. <laughs> he was like, oh, this is where in the hell you think you going, boy? I said, uh, <laughs> I have a, I'm supposed to here to see the silver. Um, they expected me. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah? Well, in order to do that, son, you got to have one of these. And he showed me his back access. And he said, now get the hell out of here. And don't you get me catch you trying another fool stunt like this again. Or I'll personally throw you off the lot myself. Get out of here. So when I raised my head up, I see a crowd of people, young people. And there's one figure in the middle of that crowd, like a spearhead, and they're following this one figure, and I can't, and, and he's coming closer and closer. It was Billy Preston, the legendary Billy Preston. With these people following, he looks up, and he makes eye contact with me, and he goes, hey, young brother, hey, young brother. He said, come here, come here, come here. And he grabs me by my arm, he says, you look like a strong young brother. He said, man, I need a security guard. You see all these people behind me? I need a, a, a security guard, man. Uh, okay, so when he, he, we walk up there, I'm building press and I'm here to see. I'm here to see my friends. Silver, she said, "Oh, sure, Mr. Preston." And then he looked. He saw it was me again. He said, "Hey, you did not tell you." He said. And then Billy said, "Uh, uh, 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 uh. He works for me. He's with me. Wherever I go, he goes." And that's the first time that I met Leon Silvers. That's what I want. That's what that story is for. So you'll know what I had to go through to meet Leon Silvers. I saw Leon first. He was intimidating. Leon was tall, got the beard back then, big ass natural. You know, he's taller than everybody else. And he's got that he's an in charge kind of guy. You know, Leon's got a strong character. But I love it. Love him to death. But you know, just meeting him, I was nervous. Damn, here's Leon Silver. Ooh, we. And, and then I found his brother. Who they were, they were, had they, they were getting spruced up to go on stage. They had, they were, you know, in the costumes and tightening up and checking each other for about that last minute before you get the camera. And I see Jonathan and Johnson, and I said, James. And and he said, Ah, oh, uh, 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 uh. Kevin, right? <laughs> he said, man, I lost all my phone contacts, my phone book. I lost all the numbers, man. I wanted to call you. You could have been doing this show today. I said, but, he said, but I couldn't find anybody who even knew you. Yeah, he said, I was asking. I couldn't find anybody who even knew you. About, about how much later was that? How much time transpired between... Palace Verdes and the concert. About a month and a half. But you were but you were playing bass. Uh, key it was yeah. keyboards was not. I could play keyboards, but I, but I taught myself to play bass. Hmm. And I had one interesting mentor, who went to Crenshaw with me also, Lewis Johnson. He was showing me how to do the thunder thumbs technique firsthand. Put my hands 
on the neck, take my thumb, putting them on the string to show me, I mean, you know, he was mentoring. Wow. I was a karate student. Uh, and my and and we had the same private teacher. My my instructor took me on privately. Uh, he was left-handed and I'm left-handed, and he saw me uh, working out one day. So that and he only he didn't take private students. Only only every now and then, rarely. And so he, he chose me, and his other private student was Lewis Johnson. But we know why it was Lewis Johnson. Uh, that and so what he would do is have Lewis and I to spar against each other. So that's because Lewis, is, you know, he's a nice guy, but you don't get close to Lewis that easy. And so since we, he, uh, the, our instructor had us fighting, we punched each other, grabbed each other, slung each other down on the. He's very familiar with me. We, you know, there's no barrier no more. You've been in my physical space, and I've had to handle you. So it changed the way he was receiving people when it came to me, because mm. I was his sparring partner. I didn't hit him in the in the head and everything else. So that that was that the way that we ended up even being able to be friends like that. I mean, not you know, like just for him to come for me to ask him, I want to, you know, can I sit in and jam with you? He didn't do that. He sat with his brother. You know, and Quincy's people, but that's the only reason that he took that time because we were spending time sparring and fighting. Why not? Uh, keep, let, show me something about your bass playing. So that's how I developed from just being a keyboard player to a bass player. He was letting me come up there, and I'd stay up there till he put me out. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was getting late. I had to eat dinner with him. <laughs> and, and so. So that's how that happened, and after Leon had to see me, then I wrapped that up. He, when Leon, he, they said, sometimes I went to the rehearsal. We rehearsed, I'm rehearsing with their band, and the only thing that the family knew was Leon says he'll be here sometime to, this evening. You know, so the whole time I'm practicing, I, I'm on, I don't see Leon. I'm wondering when is this guy gonna come. I want to know if he's going to approve me. You know, I'm practicing with him, but if he came in and said, no, nah, you know how that goes. So the whole time I had been practicing, Leon had been there and didn't come in the rehearsal room. <laughs> and while I'm wondering, when's he going to come? He's been listening to me you know, mm -hmm. all the time and stayed in the house part. Then... Just before he left, I mean, I didn't know he was going to leave. I thought he was just getting there when I saw him. He just came to the door and he and he looked at me and he, and he was and, he, and we were wrapping up one of the songs and he was just kind of moving his head and then he didn't say he said yeah nice meeting. Turned around and went back up in the house with his family, but he had left. He was leaving altogether. So I'm going. He didn't talk to me or nothing. <laughs> He just came and nodded his head and said, nice meeting you, and walked out, and then he was gone. And I said, well, what happened? And then Jonathan said, oh, yeah. Leon said, yeah, you cool. You in. I said, damn, that was strange. <laughs> After that, look, Scott, those tours that I did when Leon was still in the group, that's a whole nother chapter, buddy, but it was how Leon and I bonded. 
Did you know that Leon got voted out of the Silvers by his own family? Oh, no, I wasn't aware of that. Okay, well, for the record, um, you hear Nick coming. I was there. I went through some things with Leon. I was the person that was on the bus when his, the day that, because, you know, they had been fighting, Scott, on the bus, the tour bus. I mean, Leon and Ricky fought from the front of that bus to the back of the bus where my little bunk was, fell on the floor fighting, rolled up under, rolled over into my bunk with me in it. I call myself getting my bunk to get out of the way of the swings and punches. They rolled right up under there, and, 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 and I got hit. Leon, who was it? Leon hit me in the eye, and it swole up. While they're fighting on top of me, you know, I could see him. One trying to hold the other was arrested. And then when he let it go, pop, right in my eye. So now Leon's like, see what you made me do? Let me see your eyes, kid. They were swollen. And so now that that's what I mark as. When they fought, I knew that something was up. Something was happening. They, he was ready to leave. He took, you know, he he had all this music stuck in bags of cassettes. Leon's preparing himself to become a producer. Some guy named Dick Griffey. They started a new label called Solar. What the hell? What is that? And what is a producer? What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I said, well, he's got a big dream. I got a job with the Silvers, whatever Leon seeks me to do. But the thing about it is that the day that they fired him, I'm sitting on the bus and everybody's gone, but I had heard Jonathan say to Edmund Silvers, room, he said the room number, and he said in 15 minutes. I didn't know that the whole family was meeting behind Leon's back in that room. Uh, to have a meeting about it. he's out of the group. So when I'm just, so then they left. I didn't know that that, that that was the situation. Leon comes on the bus and, and he just sees me. And he says, Ken. I said, yeah. Well, where's everybody at, man? I said, they're in a meeting. He said, who's in a meeting? I said, the rest of your family. Oh, yeah? In a meeting where I told him the room number, Scott. And uh, and uh, I thought I was getting fired. I, I just knew I was out of there, you know, because he showed out when he got to that room. That's all I can tell you, Scott. When they, you know, he that was that was a big deal. Oh, you didn't hear both me out the group? Okay, well then you know the words that would come with that. And who who told? Who told? Uh, everybody was going, yeah, you know, who, who told that we was in the meet? And then, uh, then John said, I heard. He said, somebody told. He said, did you tell? I said, and I hated to say, yes. Yeah, I told. I told Jonathan. I thought he was going to say, oh, you can, you can pack your stuff. You're out here. He didn't do it. He said, oh, yeah, okay. But he wasn't happy. But nothing happened to me. But, you know, they forgave me. But that was a problem. I didn't know that when we got back to L.A., after we were doing the Tom Jones tour, Scott. I was with him for like four months out there. Uh, one night, it was Tom Jones, opening up Tom Jones. 
we were built, we were playing huge venues. You know what I'm saying? I went from playing around the clubs here in L.A. to all of a sudden I'm with the Silvers. I'm doing big venue, arenas, coliseums. The last thing I want to tell you is while we were on that Tom Jones tour, uh, everybody was always pitching to Leon because uh, they his brothers knew what he wanted to do and that he would most likely do it too. They knew the details of whatever he was doing because his mom was upset with him about him leaving. I was afraid. I wanted to quit. Look, that's how bad the fight was, Scott. Mm. I was ready to stop the bus. I want to get off. <laughs> I had my bags and my base, and I I went to the front of the bus and asked and whispered to the bus driver, "Did you just pull over anywhere and just let me off?" Because I was upset. My silver saw me standing up there with my base and my and my bag, and she said, "Boy, have you lost your?" Rather ask my, if you don't take that stuff and put it right back where it is, you're going to be the next one. Hmm. I said, whoa. Took my stuff back. She didn't play. No. Can, can we can we jump ahead to uh, how? Yeah, you uh, can, man. It's a whole bunch of this. You got to jump ahead, man, or else yeah. be, I'll be, I'll have you on the phone for uh, into <laughs> well, the night, tell, buddy. Tell, tell, I'm tell, tell us. I'm just saying. I got a lot of information. Oh yeah, no, da- no doubt. You need to do a book. Um, I mean, because I was the one that was right there by his side, you know. So when the Solar Sound thing started, look, my first song was "Take That to the Bank." Shellamar, yeah. And that was the first time I saw Jeffrey Daniels again, too. Had not seen Jeffrey since we were thirteen. And and then the next time, you know, other than on Soul Train. But then the first time he sees me again, I wrote the first single that was, a, 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 you know, the closest thing to a hit. It was in the top five anyway. They had never been there before. And that was also something that did something for Dick Griffey and his company. It was the first song that came out of Solar since RCA had given him the, the distribution deal where they started taking him seriously. So, uh, Dynasty was formed, and was that was the intention to kind of do like a, another Shalimar? No, Dynasty was formed because Leon was mad. Okay, are you ready for this? Are you really ready to hear this? <laughs> Leon was furious about getting done like he did by his family. You know, they were still family, but it was time for him to go anyway because this was happening for him. So, you know, but for a little while, you know, it hurt him. He was hurt. That's what. He was hurt. He wanted to form another group, period. That's what I know. And Nitra, with his girl, her and Linda Carrier, they had been around, they had been all over the world uh, with the group that they had from John Daniels' uh, Maverick's flat, where, where Howard came from, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, how it ties in. Uh, so that's how Nigel, Nigel was, was Leon's girlfriend. He was living with her and had his equipment set up. And that's where he, uh, Leon and I wrote, take that to the bank in Nigel's living room hmm. with a Ford track. <laughs> and, and a water chip piano and Leon on bass. 
That's how they take you to the bank with rhythm. And the little rhythm box. We had a rolling rhythm machine. That that was my machine. I haven't seen it since, but I forgave Leon. That machine, that machine. I bought that machine uh, saving my little money, uh, and uh, and that machine was more instrumental uh, for the beginning, because that's what Leon was using for drums on, on a lot of stuff. We slipped that he was right, that we were right. But anyway, uh, uh, Shalimar, uh that was like really. It was 78, because Take That Little Bed came out in 78. And I was still with the Silvers. That was just before I got fired. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and his family could see that, hey, he got a break. You know, that breaker was going, and nobody knew who I was except, you know, the Silvers and Leon. <laughs> and my friends, Ricky Smith and Richard Randolph, those guys grew up with me. I grew, I'm the big brother. I'm older than they are, but I needed something that they had because they were so, Ricky Smith, you uh, uh, so talented, but he was a teenager. He was a teenager when I, when I got with the Silvers. He was, he was, he, he was supposed to be 18. He was only, he just turned 17. Mm -hmm. He was 16 going on 17 and, and I lied. <laughs> but look what happened. We got, that's how come Leon, you know, he evolved right in the dynasty because Leon had been playing with him when, you know, it was just familiar. Well, okay, so with Shalimar, we were established in 78. I mean, they may have started even a year before that. You know why I say that, Scott? Because they had an uptown festival. So I didn't like that. That Motown, I did not like that. I didn't like them because of that. I didn't think that Shalimar was anything special. I mean, you know, cause only because of the, that was Don Cornelius and uh, Dick, what is the name of that company was. But they had, but you know, they were pitching the effort, and then you see Don Cornelius, he amicably bowed out because he wanted to focus on his TV show. He wasn't fooling around with Dick Griffey on no record venture, on no record label venture. Uh, and so, you know, Mr. Griffey needed somebody really bad, and guess who came along? Leon Silvers. That's who, that's who, you know what I'm saying? Because before that, there was no identifiable sound from that record label. You know, they were doing, they were doing uh, uh, remakes of, of, of Motown songs? Come on. That ain't how you want to start your label. Not for real. <laughs> Doing Barry Gordy, who do you think you are? Kind of, you know, you got to kind of wonder. But how how would you just how how would you describe the solo record sound? Yeah, originally, uh, it stuck out like a sore thumb on the radio. Uh, I liked hearing myself on the radio because that had never happened, and that was a dream come true, Scott. But what what we were doing wasn't structured like the rest of the songs on the radio. You know, everybody else was super funky. But what we did, we were solid and we held a groove and, and then it was my chord changes. And Leon wouldn't play the root of whatever the chord I was playing. He would go 
to an alternate, and that was like unorthodox. You know, I could hear, but but all his notes aren't aren't the right notes for the chords. So sometimes you'd hear a little oddness. And he had that bass, that Rickenbacker bass with those dead strings. He would never change them. And they got, and so that's why he just said, they don't ring, they don't vibrate. You won't hear any, you listen to that, the stuff that became well known for the solar sound when it first broke out. The reason how come we, you know, it, it was the combination of that chemistry of his style of, of bass playing, my style of playing chords, the kind of, I play a lot of major nines and stuff, and they sound real nice and happy, they're happy chords. So, you know, you can see, then by the time we got around to make that move, and he's doing a doo, 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 but it doesn't ring, he's not, you know, just a short staccato, and then, you know, Ricky Smith and I, we grew up, we grew up playing together, having fun playing together. So then you put us together with William Shelby. When I first met William Shelby, I didn't like it. I'm not saying like I didn't like him as a person. I didn't like the idea of William Shelby. And the reason was that when I met William Shelby, he came to me at, and, he, and he said, you're Kevin Spencer. He said, wow, you wrote Take That to the Bank. So everybody, that's my, you know, that was my calling card. Uh, that was my swans, whatever you want to call it. My main... And so everybody is, 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 wants to wants to know who I am because they I wasn't visible, <laughs> you know. what I'm saying they just know the name. Then when I met him, he said he wanted to be a songwriter too, and he wanted to do songs like what I was doing. I was going, what? Like I'm doing? Well, you better get away from me with that. <laughs> you know, it's like he. I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was, and he, you know. He's just a little guy in there, rock, uh, swaying his head to the music, talking about he wants to be a songwriter like me. I'm going, I went to, Leon had left him in the studio with me. That's when that, when that happened. I went in there, back in there where Leon was at in, the, in the, the lobby. I said, hey, man, wait, man, who is dude? <laughs> I said, who, who, who is the guy in there you left in there, man? He's weird to me. He's in there. He said, "Oh, that's William Shelby. Yeah, he's bad, man. He's gonna be doing a he's gonna be doing a songwriting hookup with him, with us. He bad. You see, Kev. You see." I said, "Well, you know, it seems like we're doing pretty good uh, so far. Do I, I mean, do we really need him?" <laughs> I mean, look, guys. So you see what kind of character I was. I think we're doing pretty good right now. Who is he? Do we really need him? Mm -hmm. Man, that, and, and, and then me on that, show him the chords, show him the, how you playing your stuff. I would not do it. Okay? I wasn't fixing to show him exactly what I was playing. And, uh, but what I learned was he was a quick learner. He had a lot of, he had a lot of movements, uh, ideas that I didn't use. Yeah, everybody's different, but we could fit together. And he's got, he, and Leon Wilson was, if I showed him anything, he would fit himself around my parts perfectly. He would play, he, you know what I'm saying? He would fit himself in just right, and he made me sound better. So I started liking him then. <laughs> so we're talking about the solar sound. 
Leon would pick up his bass. He called William and I over to his, his new house. He had, a, he had got a house in Northridge, a ranch like and stuff. We still, we get in there, when William and I would get there, he'd have the Warlitzer set up for me and whatever keyboard that Will was playing and he'd have the bass and he'd turn on the rhythm, the, the, the drum machine. And so that's how we did emergency. Uh, 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 I'm thinking, well, make that move. We did that at his, at his mother's house. And uh, what happened was Wardell. Wardell was with us by then. Now Wardell was a key factor in that sound too, because Wardell was—he's from Philadelphia. You know, Wardell was actually like a jazz drummer. But he was so solid, but he had way more skills than whatever has been shown on any record. Wardell can play his butt off. He can hold a show. You could, Wardell can hold a show by himself with no band. Okay? I mean, he's that interesting. So what are your, your, your memories of, of Dynasty and um, how... How happy were you with the way things turned out and, and all that? Hmm. Uh, well, I was happiest because uh, with Dynasty because because we were the we were the sound for the company and we we were learning and we were so efficient too in Leon's production everything. So we, what I'll say about us is we were a a music machine, a production writing team that, that also was an act. You know, we had a group, but what uh, but I, but I, uh, I didn't like was all the songs that we were writing, you know, actually, those could have been Dynasty songs. What if Dynasty had done And the League Goes On? Because, look, we used to do the demo for the Whispers with our own voices. You know, when the first time they heard Emergency, I was singing on it. And they sang after me and said, well, kid, man, you know what to do. I mean, they're saying that like, cause, because I knew I was writing for the Whispers. I know how Scotty sings. So look, Dynasty played on the record. That's us. You know, when you, and the beat goes on, that's, that's Dynasty. Leon, myself, he, uh, Will, you know, you got Ricky, you got uh, Steve Shockley played the guitar, because he used to hang with us a lot, too. And uh, just because he was, because that was the only other person that I saw Leon uh, get close to, like, as far as musicianship or, the, the, you know, that felt whatever Leon wanted him to do and wrote with it. I mean, Dick kept putting the ball in our court because Leon was his, was his cat. Now, Leon was not exclusive to Solar. So we're here we are with Dynasty. We get to do one tour uh, with the Solar Galaxy of Stars where we were cutting our teeth. That was our first time going off on an extended tour for like six months. By the time we got off that tour, Scott, we were tighter than golf ball rubber. Now, straight into the studio. What do you think we did? Everything you've heard. We had been playing for six months every night. 
with that tour, and then when that tour ended, <coughs> get Griffey, Leon, straight to the studio. We got to do the next albums for Shalimar's next album, The Whispers' next album. So now we're in there doing it's a love thing, and and uh, make and, you know what I'm saying. We were the, the reason how come that sound is like this because of the the way that things unfolded with Neon being the producer but the leader of the group, he just used us to, to make the records. Well, you know, we've been out there. Who else knows how, what he wants better than we do? So you're kind of, like we, the, kind of like the Funk Brothers of Solo Records? Yeah. If they went out, yeah. And, and, and Leon, and, and but I mean, you know, uh, Leon's getting all the assignments from Dick Griffey until, until Dick Griffey can find somebody else. Like Reggie Calloway, say for instance, you know we 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 kicked out until midnight until midnight star came, and there was relief um, from Leon doing everything because Reggie Calloway started to do things too. And after they had uh, Freakazoid, you know, uh, so that was that was where the the sound started to change. Then Midnight Star brought the deal. Now we got LA and Babyface there. Now they get a sign. You know? So it started off we had an era that the from some seventy eight until maybe like a, what, eighty three, eighty four, right in there, where we were burning them up. You know, I'm saying the, the most of the stuff that, that the Whispers were doing and the Shalomar was doing was straight out of Dynasty. And that was myself, William Shelby, and Leon and Ricky Smith. And, uh, I mean, I'm saying, you know, we were doing, that stuff was coming from right out of that little nucleus. And, and, uh, and we rolled with it. And we rolled with it. I mean, you know, uh, by the time we got around to doing stuff like a, Keep on loving me for the whispers that I was the writer on that. Now you it's got probably my favorite uh, track by them. Yeah, and and uh, so I did the uh, the melody and the lyrics and, and on that because Wardell did the track with a uh, William Zimmerman. So when uh, when uh, Leon played the track that Wardell Potts and Leon Zimmerman wrote. Dick said that, you know, that's got to be a single. That's going to be a single. Okay, now, so he said, you got to bring it home, though. Who are you going to get to do the lyrics and the melodies and stuff? And so Leon came and dumped it in my lap. But by that time, yeah, he said, Kev, I knew what you could do. I knew you could do it. He said, you know, you had already proven. He said, I could see you growing. I could see you. He said, he said I knew you were going to do this. But look, Scott. So that you know the sound, dynasty, and how we worked, you know, worked together was because of after that first that first solar tour, uh, we were ready to become the, the like you said the firm brothers. We were ready to be that band, but look, we never got to go out again until it was with somebody else when we got a chance to go out. We didn't even travel with any uh, solar artists anymore after that. We were out there with LTD, Frankie Beverly and Mays, Larry Graham, 
uh, uh, Teddy Pendergrass and Stephanie Mills. All of a sudden, here we get turned into turned out into with the rest of the people that we had never met before. You know, with Solar, we stayed in the studio, Scott. We're only around each other because we're always writing and recording because there was always something to do. So we could never go anywhere. Leon could, they couldn't afford to do without Leon for no three or four months. Mm. So that's how come Dynasty ended up being, we were the workhorse for the studio and the writing until somebody else came along and, and we got a little relief. Because we were writing stuff that we wish we could have done ourselves. But the original uh, Keep On Loving Me and Emergency too. I did this, the Whispers learned the, the vocal stuff that happened on that and then we did the music. That was just take take Scotty and Walter off of it and just did what Dynasty had vocally. And, and that's what was that's what they learned from. That was how they that was their example for the record. It sounded real nice with me and 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 uh, whoever else Leon would have on there doing. The, we called them dummy vocals because we knew they were going to get erased. 